Hi, this is John. Now, I know Steve usually handles these previews, but I decided to take a crack at it this week because we're talking about one of our favorite films on the podcast, 1981's Excalibur, directed by John Borman. In fact, this is the first fan request that we've granted. At JoeyBeans81 sent this one through over Twitter, and Steve and I took about 20 seconds before deciding that we would absolutely be doing this film. It stars Nigel Terry, Nicole Williamson, Gabriel Byrne, Helen Mirren, Liam Neeson, and Patrick Stewart. It's a fantastic retelling of the King Arthur legend that combines the magic and mysticism of Merlin with the practical human relationships that occur between Arthur, Guinevere, Lancelot, and Percival, among others. The film includes Morgana, Mordred, the Excalibur Sword, Lady of the Lake, and of course, Carmina Burana. If you want to watch the film ahead of time, you can stream it on Apple, YouTube, and Google Play, or you can get the Blu-ray on Amazon from $5.99 to $9.99. That's Excalibur, this week on The Cinephiles. Merlin! Where are you? Nobody shall have the sword! Nobody shall wield Excalibur but me! Welcome once again to The Cinephiles, where each week we enter the world of a great film. We explore its themes, its history, its filmmaking, and the influence it has on us today. My name is Steve Morris. I'm a filmmaker and directing instructor in Los Angeles, California. Hello, everyone. My name is John Roca. I'm a voiceover artist and host of multiple shows around uh, town here in L.A. and occasionally an actor. And, and this is a movie that, you know, we've gotten a lot of requests to do films, and we've done yeah. some of the requests, yeah. but we've never done a request quite so fast. This is actually from Joey Beans, requested yep. this on Twitter. Uh, it's just a few days ago when we were recording this, yeah. and John and I got so excited, they were like, great, <laughs> let's do that next. Yeah. And that movie is 1981 Excalibur, yeah. directed by John Borman. Yeah, and Joey Beans is one of the guys who's been following me since I started this, going on this path of hosting shows. So the fact that he was able to suggest it at the right time, and both of us got excited for it, because yeah. we both love the film obviously yeah and it was just a great so thank you joey yes there you go we appreciate it yeah uh john how did you first come to excalibur i I can't think i came to it on vhs like i rented it because i'm such a uh, anglophile this was when i was coming into understanding like what that meant you know loving british things and all things british and when i heard about this king arthur legend you know and people had said in this and you would get those magazines and they'd talk about excalibur to me just the whole thing about it was so attractive to me that i rented it watched it absolutely loved it and uh, couldn't I've been a massive fan of this film ever since and it's so funny to go back and revisit it now because you see actors in this film that are massive actors now worldwide famous actors that are like insanely small Small parts parts, in this film yeah it's so fantastic and and were you a King Arthur guy before like had you read the mythology oh yeah absolutely and that uh, Camelot 3000 uh, graphic novel yeah everything about it I even I used to have a a dog-eared copy of Knights of the Round Table the, the the book that was all based right. on this like you know you'd read it the French because there was like seven or eight different authors who wrote about it but there was the French author who wrote about it and I had that book all the time and would drive when I was going on trips with my parents I would just read it over and over Sir Gawain all that stuff Percival all of it that was in there yeah King yeah. Arthur definitely for me one of the things I'm really happy about with this podcast is I've talked a lot about my dad on the podcast yeah. so we talked about westerns we talked about baseball and those just related to my dad. 
My mom loved King Arthur. Oh, wow. Yeah, she's who really, she just loved those myths. And so she's the one who gave me the first, maybe it's the same book that you have, right. of Arthur and his knights, and reading those adventures, and I did the same thing you did. I read them over and over and mm -hmm. over again. And so when this movie came out, my mom took me to see it. 1981, wow. this is my first R-rated movie in the theater. Wow. I was 13 years old, and I can remember sitting next to my mom, Yeah, and we get to a fairly brutal rape scene, not shiny oh, yes, armor rape, right. and I had this, the like, beginning, yeah. and that's my first R-rated naked scene mm -hmm. in a movie theater. Mm -hmm. My mom's next to me, and it was a... It was a big experience. Um, and <laughs> really, the movie so. was a big experience yeah. in all sorts of ways. Like, I, I, it, it's funny. I, do I think this is a perfect film? No, I don't. I mm -hmm. think it's flawed in all sorts of ways. But I also think it is the best representation I can think of of King Arthur. Mm -hmm. And there have been tons and tons of uh, stories about Arthur in this world. Mm -hmm. And that's really where I want to start. Mm -hmm. Is I want to start with a little history of King Arthur. Uh, and the reason is, is because... A lot of things, what you hear, because there's, I think there's a Guy Ritchie, King Arthur thing coming out. Yeah. Like every few years, Which there's another, bad. there's yeah. another King Arthur thing. Yeah. And you hear people say, I really want an authentic King Arthur story. And what I want to tell you uh, is that there's no such thing. Because <laughs> he doesn't really exist. Well, there was really oh, a guy. There was, well, based on, yes, yes, yeah, yes. There's a guy who probably around 500 AD, right. after the Romans had, had, had left Britain and the... Angles and the Saxons and there those all these sort of tribal wars and invasions There's probably one guy whose name wasn't Arthur but might have been Arcturus or various other Roman yeah. He may have been Roman. He may have been Christian. He may have been uh, Welsh and we don't really know probably got some people to he wasn't a king Right probably got some people together and won some battles and was a good leader. Yeah, and that's about it and then the stories of him start to grow over time. And the only way I can describe it, there's, by the way, a really good series of lectures from the great courses on King Arthur that I listened to recently. Is, and she's a wonderful lecturer. I don't remember her name offhand. Mm -hmm. But if you really want to dig in, she'll take you through the entire development of, of, of all the Arthur legends. Wow. Uh, it's amazing. But the only way I can describe it is this is, Arthur is really the product of maybe 1,500 years of fan fiction. Mm-hmm. That's what it is, mm -hmm. is that because there's this guy, and then there's some Celtic myths that get attached to him. Mm -hmm. There's, for instance, the first mention of, gra of the grail. It's not the holy grail. It's, right. it's a cup where food would keep... It was like a Dungeons and Dragons kind of, you know, food of, <laughs> you know, food just would magically appear out of right. this cup. That was called a grail. Uh, the grail is a Latin word. and that, But then, like, the story gets picked up in France, and... Yeah. Part, the part of the story that is Lancelot and the Round Table, well, that comes from French writers, maybe in the eight or nine hundreds. Yeah, you know, and then maybe a, a couple hundred years later in Germany, that's where the Holy Grail starts to come from, and the idea of the Holy Grail and Joseph of Arimathea and all that yeah. stuff, those get added to the story. Tristan and Isolde, those are Irish stories that have nothing to do with Ar Arthur, but they get added to Arthur at it's a certain point. Yeah. Is that it's literally all over the place, and the ideas of might makes right, all of that. Mm -hmm. Well, that's really Victorian era people coming into Arthur, and then of course you. Have a Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court. Right. That's, that's um, Mark Twain's, which is a hilarious and brilliant book if you yes. ever want to read it. And then we get into the 20th century and the Once and Future King and Camelot. And mm -hmm. each one of these things add and subtract different parts of the myth. Yeah. You know, um, how do we approach Lancelot and Guinevere? Yeah. How do we approach the Grail Quest? And they're all really different. And the other place, by the way, that I really was introduced to King Arthur was I was really lucky. My parents took me to theater when mm -hmm. I was a kid and there was like a Best of Broadway series oh. that happened to have the original guys redoing their shows. So I saw... Wow. 
Yul Brenner in The King and I. Wow. On stage. I saw Rex Harrison in My Fair Lady. This is probably 78 or something like wow. that. And I saw Richard Burton in Camelot. Wow. So the other big place that I really got... Richard Harris or Richard Burton? Richard Burton. Wow. Richard Burton is who... He originated before Richard Harris did it on the film. Yeah. Richard oh. Burton did it on stage in the Broadway production. Oh, I would love and, to see him sing that. So, so, well, you could get the album and listen to it because the albums in my house were musical theater albums. Yeah. So I listened to the Camelot album mm-hmm. along with Guys and Dolls and My Fair Lady and Sound of Music and all those things right. over and over over and over again. Fascinating. So part of my love for King Arthur comes from this great Learner and Low musical. Yeah. yeah. How interesting, because it's not one of my favorite musicals at all. I, for me, it does not. It does nothing for me beyond a couple of the songs, right? The, the Camelots and Never Rains, The Left to Sundown, that right. thing. And then also, If I Were to Leave You, If right. I Were to Leave You, which Franco, I think, uh, whoever it was that sang it, was it Franco Nero? I don't know if it's Franco, Franco Nero. Yeah, is it, it Franco yeah. Nero? Wow. In the, in the original musical, Mr. It's, Django, it's, uh, yeah. it's Robert Guillaume. Right, Robert Guillaume, right. Um, but I, I, or Goulet, or is it Guillaume? Goulet, 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 right? Goulet, sorry. This, I, this, the thing about totally <laughs> it's, it's Benson. The, yeah. the thing that's the no thing, disrespect. Yeah, no disrespect. Mr. No, Guillaume. Not that he couldn't do Fine it. Fine Right, right. Exactly. He had a beautiful voice. He, I'm sure he did. Um, but what I think was is so great about the, I think why it appeals and still holds true for me, even rewatching it now for the for the podcast, is this sense of nobility, man. It's the what it's what really permeates the Arthurian legend. This idea that it's possible for us all to be equal and to do the right thing and to be noble as human beings and to do things right and to care for each other all at the same time. Like it's possible, but the human flaws, the human yeah. foibles, will always always destroy it well and it might be with the exception of jesus yeah the most returned to myth in history absolutely you know it's like we don't go back to gilgamesh or beowulf in the right. same way we don't get you know it's like there are a lot of myths you know or american myths like paul bunyan yeah or, you know it's like but king arthur he keeps drawing us in i think you make a great point steve that he, he has this savior mentality like for britain for england yeah. this idea that he like even camelot 3000 was about him coming back well because the, there are legends that he king arthur will come back when england needs him the most and re- well, restore it to power that's built into the myth yes and, it, and it, i don't remember if it's with thomas mallory or which stage mm-hmm. that idea certainly by the once and future king yes that's in there right. but but much earlier it's built in and by the way in during world war ii in england when they're under the blitz yeah there is movies and stories and people writing short stories about Arthur coming back during World War II. Yeah. You know, like, it's just a very powerful myth. Yeah. Okay, so let's get into the movie. Sure. Um, uh, first of all, the director is John Borman. He mm-hmm. had spent maybe a decade trying to get this movie made, wow. and no one wa- they was the budget was too big, no one wanted to do it. They actually wanted him to do Lord of the Rings. So he's developing Lord oh, of the Rings. Oh, Some of the locations they used in the movie had yeah. been scouted for the Lord of the Rings movie, How funny. which is kind of interesting. Finally, through Orion, he gets the money to make the movie, yeah. and his approach is, I-, I would describe it, it is full on. Yep. You know, it is like aggressive and iconic Mm -hmm. and not subtle. Mm -hmm. And right at the beginning of the movie, we meet Uther Pendragon. Yeah. And first of all, Uther Pendragon is one of my favorite names in all of literature. What a great name. Yeah. And he is a hard hitting, aggressive, masculine in his first film, Gabriel Byrne. Wow, it's just so amazing. Yeah. Completely unrecognizable in terms of totally. acting style. Yeah. Yeah, you obviously you see his face, you know it's Gabriel Byrne, but his acting style is so different in this film from just about anything he did afterwards. What's funny is I didn't know he was Gabriel Byrne because I saw it in 1981. Oh, right. Well, fair, right, of course. But, but, but what's really weird is then I met Gabriel Byrne in much oh. later movies. I oh, didn't right. meet him personally. Okay. I mean that I saw him yeah. and never connected that it was the guy from Excalibur <laughs> until right. much later. Right. And then it was like, 
oh, that's the same guy? Yeah. Same thing with Liam Neeson. Yeah. I'd seen Liam Neeson, and then I saw Liam Neeson in regular movie, later movies, and then years after that, I went, oh, that's Liam Neeson in yeah. Camelot. Yeah. Um, so we meet him, and we meet... I. This is always going to be Merlin for me. You brought me back. Your love brought me back. Back to where you are now. In the land of dreams. Are you just a dream, Merlin? A dream to some. A nightmare to others! Nicole Williamson. Nicole Williamson. He is... His performance and what he does with his voice and mm-hmm. his humor and his strangeness and his odd rhythms and yeah. his odd metal helmety thing, which by the way happened mostly because John Borman wanted him to shave his head and he agreed and at the last minute he changed his mind, refused to shave his head <laughs> and the armor just built up this weird, <laughs> but it's awesome. Yeah, it is. Um, his performance as Merlin is fascinating and quirky and weird mm-hmm. and great. And it's perfect because everything else is so serious in the film. Yeah. Merlin is the comic relief in a way, but also, but never loses his power. Yeah, also his never heart. loses his power. Also the heart of the film, yes, heart in, of the film. in a way, but definitely the comic relief. Yeah. And we have Uther who has been given Excalibur. Yeah. The sword from the lady in the lake, which by the way, the lady under the water who's holding up her hand mm-hmm. is uh, John Borman's daughter. Oh. Uh, in very cold water. How funny. Yeah. He gets Excalibur and this means he's the guy who should be king. And as right. a warrior, as a leader of men and a warrior, he absolutely should be. Right. But he shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. And we see why he shouldn't be because we go into the castle of Cornwall where Igraine, also John Borman's daughter. Oh, I thought it was his, his wife. No, it's his daughter. It's his daughter? It's his daughter. Okay, wow. And Uther sees her and he wants her. Yeah. And it is a... The, the sexual tension oh within the God. scene is just goes up and up and up with this music and this mm-hmm. dance. This is what I'm saying. This film is a masculine film, which you mentioned. No question about it. It is a masculine film, and it's so big and dramatic, but that's how men can be sometimes, very big and dramatic, especially in war, especially when they want something so primally as that he does when he wants a grain. I must have her. Are you mad? The Alliance! The banging on the table of the others. And there's this cut that happens as it's building, it's building. Yeah. And we know that if he goes after this woman, the piece is over. Mm-hmm. And this is why Uther's not supposed to be king. Right. He is not supposed to be king because he lets his lust and his personal desire overcome what the responsibility of being a king is. Yeah. And there's this great cut where Igraine turns and we cut, oh, smash cut right into um, ramming this wall. Yep. You know? Trying to knock down this wall, and oh, we're back in war. Yep. Just when we got out of it, just when we thought we had peace, his sexual desire for her, which is funny because the juxtaposition later on when his son becomes king, his son does not give in to the sexual desire uh, of, of over uh, what should be done as a king, right? When Guinevere and Lancelot are challenged later on, Arthur says, no, I'm the king. I cannot champion you. And there's a, power, there's a nobility in that, right. which is why he's king. Yeah. Because he believes that law is more important and th- than his personal needs. Exactly. Of course, sexual desire brings down the kingdom anyway. Well, sure, but not his. But not, right. yeah, it's not his. Right. So, and, and then, and this is where I kind of go, Merlin, why'd you do this? Uther begs Merlin, give me a chance yeah. to have sex with this woman, right. essentially. And Merlin changes his features. Yeah. And Uther rides across the smoke into the place as uh, Cornwall. Yes. And goes and immediately finds his woman for some sex. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's so, first of all, we have to say several strange things about this scene. Yeah. In addition to me sitting next to my mom when I first saw it, <laughs> which is strange, but also just like the. 
wow, having sex in full plate mail yeah. is strange. Yeah. The fact that that's Borman's daughter being raped is strange. Mm-hmm. And the intercutting between the sex and the battle and the death of the true Cornwall right. is really disturbing. And Morgana, the young Morgana watching yep. it. Yep. It's a fucked up scene. It is, but this is what we got. This yeah. is what this film is, and this is what the legends are about. The legend is this, right? There's no like, what's the PC thing to do here? What's the right thing to know? The legend is this. You know? Well, and this is the point. Yeah, yes. exactly right. It's like, is that is that this is why Uther shouldn't be king. Right. This is the world that we're in. This is how we're going to see the world. We're not going to shy. It's not, because there are a lot of King Arthur movies. Yeah. You know, there are King Arthur movies made in the silent era, and I'm sure there were, you know, they were restrained yeah. compared to Excalibur. Excalibur is like, this is what it is. I mean, you could argue we did Holy... We already did it. This is our second King Arthur second film. We want to argue Holy Grail. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> th- by the way, and, and I think I said it in the Holy Grail yeah. thing. In that lecture that I listened to, she says Holy Grail is the greatest King Arthur film. What? The PhD does. And that it's the most accurate film ever made about the Middle Ages. Um, <laughs> That's great. Yeah. So, so anyway... Yeah. But uh, we're introduced to all these characters. We're introduced to Uther's lust. We're introduced to Igraine, and we're introduced to Morgana. And Morgana, Morgana which will come, up, which will obviously play out later when she confronts Merlin. When Merlin takes the child later, it's that kind of thing. Yeah, right. Because that's the deal that yeah. Merlin made. Merlin mm-hmm. made this deal with Uther. I'm gonna turn you into this other guy so you can, you know, satiate your lust. Right. But in it, whatever issues from that lust, meaning the kid, right. is mine. Right. Which again is a fucked up deal. Well. I'm not saying it's fucked up for Merlin. I'm saying it's fucked up for Uther. Well, no, because Uther, this is the price he has to pay. If you're going to, like what, what, what Merlin says to him, which is really great, Merlin says, you're not trusted. No one trusts you because no. you slept with the, your rival's wife. You took her. You took the child. Like, you did all these things. No one trusts you. That's why you're never going to be. You know, can't uh, be he said, heart and home is not for you. Hearth and home is not for you. Yeah. And that's the truth. And so you can't be king. And so, but I know because you, I wanted you to be king. You gave in to your sexual lust. You can't be my king. I'm going to take your child right. from birth and train him to be the king. And so he takes the kid, and yeah. then Uther has second thoughts and goes chasing right. after him, runs into an ambush amidst this beautiful green wood with mm-hmm. a green glow yeah. in a pretty brutal fight scene. And Uther is a badass. Yeah. Without question, yep. but overmatch. And then I just, I remember as a kid, and I still could hear, Nobody shall wield! Excalibur, but me! And he drives the Excalibur into a rock in green light and sparks. <laughs> and it's an amazing moment. And a great sound. Great oh, sound. Yeah. Great sound. Yeah. And one thing we should say here, amongst all the myths, yeah. one of the things that medieval scholars will tell you is that the sword and the stone and Excalibur are not the same sword. They're different swords. One of the brilliant things in this movie is making them the same sword. Yeah, of course. Is that Excalibur came from the Lady of the Lake, right. and the Sword of the Stone is just a test for being king, but it's not an important sword. <laughs> and I think, again, this is why this is a good film. Yeah. Much better to have him be the same sword. Absolutely. And then Uther takes Excalibur, drives it into the stone, and we cut. it's just an amazing moment. Mm-hmm. And then we cut to 15 years later, yep. 16 years later, and we meet young Arthur, Nigel yep. Terry. Nigel Terry, who is so, I know we're going to talk about, obviously we're going to talk about Nigel Terry. Nigel Terry, to me in this film, there is, you can count maybe on your hand the amount of times you've seen an actor play one part through numerous decades 
and be completely believable. And Orson Welles being one of them in Citizen Kane. And what Nigel Terry does in this film to go from a squire who is bright-eyed and bushy-tailed to a haggard old old king is amazing, man. It it really is. And it's not like there's a lot of makeup. Yeah. I mean, there is makeup, obviously. Yeah. And it's funny, too. He doesn't even look that young. No. In the young scenes. Right. But he plays young. Yes. And it feels young. The energy is young. Yeah. Yeah. And he easily, I love how he pulls the sword out of the stone. I love him putting it back. I love the other guys coming along, mm-hmm. including who we meet. The first big knight we meet is yeah. Patrick Stewart. Patrick Stewart in all his grand, loud glory. Fully <laughs> not not Captain Picard or no. Professor X in any way. This is big, manly, yes. masculine, so bald Patrick Stewart. It, it's still largely cheesy Shakespeare as well. It yes. is so Well, that's part of what movie shot in Ireland. Yeah. And he went around both in England and Ireland and got a bunch of good Shakespearean actors yeah, to play. Did. It's not dumb. He really it's did. It's not dumb. Um, and, and Patrick Stewart, you know, can't pull the sword out of the stone. We meet Urien, who's an actor. I don't remember his name. Urien's is great. He's great. He can't pull the sword out of stone. And then Arthur walks up and I love how he just touches it and it almost <laughs> flies. Out and now there is a split between the knights. Yeah. Some say they're going to support Arthur. Some say he's just a kid. We can't. Right. Arthur and Merlin escape. Um, yeah, and and the, yeah, and and that's where Merlin starts to train him and teach him about the world and teach him about that that he was like and he, and and Arthur is confront Arthur is also confronting the fact that this man who raised him is not his dad. Yeah, like for the first time ever. And Kay and I forget the the guy who is his dad. Does they do Hector? Hector. They do yeah. such a great job of having that conversation. Yeah. The old guy that they cast was his. He's great. His voice is so heartbreaking when he tells him how much he loves him and stuff. And then later, because I loved you. It's just yeah. so. It's just so great. Everything's so big in this film man well and now we get and they do it in a very compressed space of time because yeah. we should say the the arthur's story is huge yes and we're only getting it one of the pro- things you have to do when you when you make this film is choose what to leave out yeah and so like in the in the once and future king which is the 20th century big novel mm-hmm. the merlin training sequence is chapter and chapter and chapter i'm sure he turns arthur into an eagle he turns arthur into a fish and he turns arthur has all <laughs> these experiences and we get that story in about four or five minutes yes and we get again nicole williamson's great ironic funny quirky <laughs> weird voice performance what are you afraid of i don't know shall i tell you what's out there yes please the dragon a beast of such power that if you were to see it whole and all complete in a single glance, it would burn you to cinders. Where is it? It is everywhere. It is everything. Its scales glisten in the bark of trees. Its roar is heard in the wind and its forked tongue strikes like... like... Oh, like lightning. Yes, that's it. Yeah. And then we go, oh, there's a war going on. Right. And Arthur, it's that first kingly moment where he says, those of you who would be a knight and serve a king, and he jumps on the horse, and yeah. you go, that's our king. Yep. And we go and rescue, have to go to Patrick Stewart's castle and yep. save him. Yep. That's great. It's a great action sequence. And, yeah, and what is so, as we go right into it, once again, there's not a lot of downtime in this film yeah. between these sequences, right? This isn't Batman versus Superman. It takes forever to get to action sequences. Yeah. This is this is like legitimately going from thing to thing, and you go along with it because of the casting and because of just the environment that Borman creates. I mean, he, the cinematography, the shots, even now you can look at it back, yeah, it's grainy, whatever. It still works. It feels old. It feels like you're getting a window into this world and you're immersed in it. 
different from what they do in the film. And I am such a fan of it, man. It's it's always great to revisit it. The, like you said, the greens, when they show up at the castle, the castle looks really believable. All those ladders, the complex ways that they're trying to get into the castle, the moats around the castle and fighting on horseback in the moats. All of it's so great. It's great. Mm-hmm. I had to pause just for a moment yeah. because my dear friend Soren would not forgive me if I didn't say this. Oh. So my friend Soren, who I'd love to have on the podcast sometime. Yeah, I'd love to have him too. He's an actor and Shakespearean expert and loves deeply, deeply loves history and accuracy. And do you know why he doesn't like this movie? Why? Because the armor is wrong. <laughs> because Arthur is technically a... 5th or 6th century story yes. and that is 13th century renaissance armor <laughs> and it's the wrong armor and, but this is the thing about like all the things like jousting and yeah. all that stuff that didn't exist in that didn't exist in the 5th century when the book was written when right. the, the, the real thing happened yeah. that's 11th century 12th century and so uh, that armor is, is nothing to do with what England was like at the time right but that's what I want to see when I see King Arthur. Absolutely. I want to see knights in shining armor. Mm-hmm. That's what it's about. That's what they say. And yeah. we get to see uh, the way Arthur attacks the castle and it's his bravery. He's the yeah. only guy not wearing armor. Right. And he climbs up the side of the castle wall and jumps off onto a horse and does all this crazy stuff. Yeah. And you watch Guinevere watch him mm-hmm. and go, ooh, who's yeah. this guy? And then we get to what might be my favorite moment in the entire film, which is the knighting. Yeah, yeah. man. He jumps off a castle wall. Yeah. All yeah. the way down into the moat. Yeah. And lives. And, and, and holds the holds a sword to Urien's neck and says, yeah. yield. Swear faith to me, and you shall have mercy. I need battle lords such as you. And no, will not. Swear faith to a squire. To a squire. And then this uh, remarkable moment happens where he goes, you're right. You're right. I'm not yet a knight. You, Urien's. Well, like me. And he hands Excalibur to Urien. Yep. That's an amazing moment. It's film. a noble moment. It is. He risks his life for the for the purpose, for the principle. And he gives him the sword. So there is the chance that Urien's could take the sword and be, I'm king, and run off. Right. But the sword won't That's... let him because Excalibur is the power of mystical force. And Merlin's reaction. What's this? What's this? Keep it, Urien's! In the name of God, St. Michael and St. George, I give you the right to bear arms and the power to meet justice. That duty I will solemnly obey as knight and king. I never saw this. Rise, King Arthur. I am your humble knight, and I swear allegiance to the courage in your veins. So strong it is. Its source must be Luther Pendragon. It's the power of the sword, no question. And it's the power of the man. Yes, exactly. Is that absolutely is that I hand you my power. Mm-hmm. That shows how powerful Arthur is. Right. That shows his honesty and his bravery and his truth and everything that is about that to me is the most King Arthur moment in the movie. Agreed. And Urian says to him. I doubt you no more. Your your blood is so strong. It must be Uther's. I yeah. doubt you no more because right. of what he did to hand him the sword and tell him to knight him and risk his own life to show. It was fantastic. You're Absolutely. Right. Such and a great yet, scene. Uther would never do that shit. No, of course not. No, Uther would just kill him. Of course he would. Right. That's why he can't be king. Yeah, it's why. Exactly. And this is why Arthur should be king. And, uh, but uh, Arthur's taking a small wound. And yes. he is getting uh, cured by Guinevere, who yes. he obviously loves. And Guinevere's kind of into him at this moment. Uh, yes, yeah, she is. And 
Arthur, I love when Arthur turns to Merlin and says, "Can you make her fall in love with me?" And Merlin, goes, "Oh no, I'm not doing that again." Yeah. Nine moons, um, <laughs> and they have this obvious attraction. They have a sweet, a very sweet attraction, and even that moment where like she's like tending to his wounds out by the tree, you see that developing, and then out there, and then of course, obviously at the fest, at the fest, and, and then we see first time we see Liam Neeson there in the feast doing right. what he's doing, and we see Patrick Stewart obviously because that's uh, Guinevere's dad, and then we see him have this great conversation with Merlin, and Merlin is trying to teach him even yeah. still in this moment like about love and about the future and what can happen but yeah. but he doesn't listen of course not. it's the one place he doesn't listen you never do when you're in love yeah and then we move forward fairly quickly yes and now arthur is a full man and he has mm-hmm. his knights but there's this knight that's beating up all these people <laughs> and it's funny they're all in sort of gray armor yeah and then we see this guy in ridiculous and it is ridiculous <laughs> the armor is so damn shiny yeah. that they had they had reflections of lights and cameras in it all the time oh, really? so it became oh, a real filmmaking funny. problem because the light it's literally like mirrored armor it's crazy armor <laughs> and this is this is arthur's one truly bad king moment for yeah. me is that he loses it on this guy mm-hmm. is that lancelot is clearly the better knight they're 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 jousting mm-hmm. arthur's pretty good yeah but he's not in lancelot's league right. and he's clearly beating him and Lancelot doesn't want to, he doesn't want it to get serious. Right. And Arthur goes, nope, to the death then. And it's like, holy fuck, you're going to kill this guy? Right. Um, and then he, he's really getting his ass kicked because mm-hmm. Lancelot's just way better than him and then he calls on the power of Excalibur to beat Lancelot and it does knock Lancelot down, yeah. maybe really hurting him yeah. and breaks the sword. Yeah. Breaks the sword. Yeah. What a great moment, and man. And there Merlin just happens to be there right then. Yep. Merlin, what have I done? You have broken what could not be broken. Hope is broken. But this is what's great about their relationship, Steve, which is so fascinating in the movie. Arthur is constantly surprising Merlin, and Merlin is supposed to know better. He's right. supposed to know what the prophecies are, what's supposed to happen. Well, in some versions of the story, he lives backwards. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Not so, this one, I don't think. No, no, right. But what I love how many times he surprises Merlin. I don't mean yeah. how many times things happen around Arthur. That's what makes Arthur even more special because he can't be predicted. He can't be quantified. His nobility, he, who he is as a person, you, he will surprise you. And it's what makes you love him even more. Well, and in this moment, he learns. Yes. Is that he has this moment of anger. Yes, he makes this mistake. Yes. And then he goes... Oh my God, what have I done? My pride broke it. My rage broke it. This excellent knight, who fought with fairness and grace, was meant to win. I used Excalibur to change that verdict. I've lost, for all time, the ancient sword of my fathers, whose power was meant to unite all men, not to serve the vanity of a single man. Yeah. And it's that humility it's the humility of kneeling down in the muck to be knighted. It's yeah. the humility of this moment of saying, I was wrong. Yeah. That's what makes him a great leader. And this is something I think about a lot. Yeah. Like the the strength the strength and courage it takes not to hold on to your rightness, right. but admit your wrongness. That's what we want from leaders. Yep. You know, is like, oh, I was wrong. I've made a mistake. I've yep. learned something new. We uh, won't have that for four years, but yes. In my opinion, that doesn't seem to be his strong suit. <laughs> no. <laughs> Um, Anyways, so and and we managed to heal Excalibur, and once again we have John Borman's daughter in the very very cold river holding her arm up to take mm-hmm. the sword. And they had to do a lot of takes, man. This guy was not <laughs> nice to his daughter. 
You know, first you get raped and now you're underneath the water. But okay. But great. But the shots are good. Shot I mean, the shot is fantastic. That, that sword coming out of the water is just yep. perfect. Yep. Um, and Lancelot joins. He joins the knights. Mm-hmm. And the first job he gets is to go pick up Guinevere. Yep. And I got to say, what Lancelot says to Guinevere on this journey, this is a dick move. I agree. They want me to ask you if um, any one of them could win your heart. I'm a fighting man. I'm sworn to the quest. But surely, there must be some lady somewhere in the world who inspires you. There is one. Who is she? Oh, go on, tell me. You? Oh, you're teasing me. I will love you always. I will love you as my queen and as the wife of my best friend. And while you live, I will love no other. It's full dick move. He's it's his way of it's a way of passive aggressively showing his affection for her without trying without uh, feeling guilty about it. Yeah, yeah. I'm telling telling the woman who's about to get married to your best friend. Yeah. Nope, there's only one woman for me. It's you. <laughs> and I'm going to love you for the rest of your life because you're my best friend. Not unlike a beautifully romantic but dick move scene in Love Actually where he, where he yes. has little signs yeah. uh, to what's her name? Um, yeah, Kira Knightley. To Kira Knightley yeah, saying, Angelica. hey, you just married my best friend, but yeah. I'm always going to be in love with you. Just, I hate that scene. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's like, I know this scene. And what's funny is it seems romantic. To a lot of people, it is. Yeah. I still have these arguments with people about yeah. that scene. That's a dirty scene. Yeah. His best friend is in the house. Yeah. It's worse. Well, and you're taking this, and, and, and in our scene, in Lancelot, he's taking her to get, she's going to marry your friend. Yes. You, you are not, you're not cool on every way. All, yeah, you're I doing, agree. all you've done is cause trouble. I agree. Um, and so, so the idea of Lancelot as the purest, most noble knight in the world is like, mm, maybe not. <laughs> well, and this is why in all the, in all the uh, Arthur myths, in all the Grail myths, Lancelot cannot get the Grail. Right. That what prevents him to getting a grail is his feeling. He's other than other than his feelings for Guinevere and his affair with Guinevere. Yeah, he is the most pure knight in the world. Mm-hmm. But for this, no, yeah. not. And it's funny because the the Arthur Guinevere Lancelot love triangle. Yeah, I think is the most difficult thing to handle in the Arthur story. Of course, and there's a lot of versions of it where. Guinevere is an, a villain. Essentially, yeah. there's versions of it where Lancelot is a villain. Right. And what I'm drawn to is that the three of them love each other. Mm-hmm. That's what, that, if I was going to do my Arthur mm-hmm. story, that the, if you don't have Lancelot love Arthur and love Guinevere, and if you don't have Arthur love Lance and love Guinevere, yeah. and Guinevere love both of them, then it's not the full tragedy. Right. That's, it's that it's the love that makes it tragic. Exactly. You know, if Guinevere's a bitch, it's not an interesting story to exactly. me. Exactly. I agree with you. And that's why this film does so well. Yeah. And I thought Camelot 3000 did so well Absolutely. as well. Absolutely. Which is a graphic novel for you kids there who haven't read it. Go yeah, find it and read Mike it. It's so Bar- good. Bar and... Bolland is the Yeah, Bolland, yeah, exactly. And it's this film does so well because even though Guinevere is the one who initiates this thing by writing out to have sex with him later on in the film. She's not the one who initiates she's, it. She's, well... She initiates that. She initiates that, that's what I mean. But he's... A, right, except, but I'm saying like she makes the action. She does the action, right? He, uh, uh, Lancelot, lays the groundwork with verbal stuff. Yeah. But she commits the action. And so... But you understand why it's happening because they have this overpowering love for each other so yeah um so we go off they get married it's a beautiful wedding Mm -hmm. and that we decide we're gonna build we finish we've 
unified the country. Yes. We're going to build a, a round table and a castle around the round table. And it's great. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a great setup. When I love that scene when in the darkness, in the night, when they're all coming, the West is ours, the East is ours, all that kind of stuff. And then Merlin has to be like, stop being boys. Stand back. Be silent. Be still. And look upon this moment. Savor it. Rejoice with great gladness. Remember it always, for you are joined by it. This great victory. So that in the years ahead, you can say, I was there that night with Arthur, the king. For it is the doom of men that they forget. Yeah, yeah, and has to do the flame out of his thing to get them to understand they have to do... This is serious. About, yeah, there's no corner. Everyone is equal. The round table. It's so good. Yeah. And, and what we continue to have as round table every time we get together is this questioning of what is the most noble virtue? Right. You know? And so, and this idea, as I said, the idea of might for right, which is such an important Arthurian mm. idea, yeah. isn't in the early stories. That's really something that comes much later, mostly in the Victorian era, mm-hmm. you know, where we get this idea of a leader should be doing the right thing. Yeah. And I think this is really important historically too is that this idea of the public servant of the leader being a servant to the public is not a traditional idea you know Mm -hmm. that back in the day it was like no the king is the king right because he's king and the king should get what he wants because he's supposed to be king because you're leading by divine right rather than leading by other rights right although clearly arthur is leading by divine right because the sword comes out of the stone right magic wants him to lead but he is deserving of it yes you know well this was so great about the constitutional peasant moment in in Holy Grail, when he's Absolutely. like, he's like, well, I didn't vote for you. You don't vote for a king. I blah, blah, blah. And more, <laughs> the you lady know. of the lake, her arm clad in the most shimmering samite. And we'll anyway. see if I do, in fact, cut to that again. And you know what? I might. because Please it's do, because so, I love that damn scene so, damn so much. Good. The lady of the lake, her arm clad in the purest shimmering samite, held aloft Excalibur from the bosom of the water signifying by divine providence that I, Arthur, was to carry Excalibur. That is why I'm your king. Listen, strange women lying in ponds distributing swords is no basis for a system of government. Supreme executive power derives from a mandate from the masses, not from some farcical aquatic ceremony. Be quiet! But you can't expect to wield supreme executive power just because some watery tart threw a sword at you. Shut up! I mean, if I went round saying I was an emperor just because some moistened bint had lobbed a scimitar at me, they put me away. Shut up! I love that sign that the little music cue that plays under that. And he's like, listen, they put me away. This is why I say I, I don't know if I think this is a perfect... It's not a perfect film. Well, no, but is it's that an enjoyable film. The movie man. drifts. There's sort of a sense of drift in the film. Yeah, but I'm okay. I, I don't ever feel a wasted moment in that, in that film. It's not that I'm bored. It's yeah. that there's this kind of moment... You know, movies have a certain structure. You always know in, in the, what I would call a perfect film. Mm-hmm. You always know what the movie is about. Okay. You know, like I'm in, this is where we're going. Yeah. You know, and I feel, whereas in this movie, it's like, oh, Lancelot's kind of off on a journey. He meets this guy, Percival. Yeah. Who's a kid. And mm-hmm. it's like, what, what's this about? And now we're kind of, we haven't, we don't see Arthur a lot. We don't. You know, our main character is kind of goes into the background yeah. for a lot of the movie now. Mm-hmm. And Lancelot comes back and Percival's kind of wandering through Camelot, mm-hmm. which the one design element I'm not a big fan of, the completely gold and silver shining, it's a little too much. 
It's a little late 70s. You mean when he 80s. sees the round table, you mean? No, no. I mean the whole the whole the walls of the castle are oh, like Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Silver. That's right. It's a little ridiculous. Yeah, but the, but we also get that moment with uh in that when Percival comes in with Lancelot come and she he is he going to stay and uh, no because right. he sees Guinevere and he can't. He goes, "No, I'm not going to yeah, go." Yeah, he can't. And now we also get to meet for the first time Morgana, Morgana, played by Helen Mirren. Yes, a very sexy Helen Mirren. She really is. Yeah, she she is a woman who has remained sexy still. Absolutely, she, and nobody get mad. She's supremely talented. We love her to death. Absolutely phenomenal actress. What have you? The, yeah, but amazing. she's incredibly beautiful and sexy as well. Yeah, and it's interesting too. So Nicole Williamson didn't want to do the movie because Helen Mirren was going to be in it because they had just done uh, the Scottish play, which I'll oh. say is Macbeth. Okay, some people have feel that's bad luck to say that. We're not in a theater. That's so true. It's a okay. good point. Um, but they had just done it together and they hated each other. Wow. And they maybe, maybe there was a thing between them that didn't go so well. Uh, and they were both saying, I'm not going to do it. And finally, happens. Borman convinces them to do it. And part of his thinking is, it'd be good to have them hate each other. That's going to yes. help. And Helen Mirren is so great. She mm-hmm. has, I mean, she's a, just a phenomenal actress, mm-hmm. period. And in this movie, she's amazing. Her little asides, her little looks. Yeah. Uh, carry more power than some people's lines in the movie. Yeah, so and good. she is the you know she is the little drip of poison yes. on the round table, just making things wrong. And who is mm-hmm. she? Who is she poisoning? Uh, just a little bit of time. Yeah, Liam Neeson. Yeah, Gawain. Gawain. And just and it's that. How can we be a full round table when Lancelot's not here? Yeah. And what's keeping it he- him from being here? A woman's lust. Yep. And I'm pretty sure it's Lancelot's lust that's keeping him from being there. I think it's both their lust, but he, that's the angle he took to dig at Arthur. Which is yeah. what she was encouraging him to do. Uh, Morgana was encouraging him to do. Yeah, and 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 the only solution to this is as Lancelot call or as Gwen calls out the queen, someone's got to fight him. <laughs> exactly. And initially, she thinks it's Arthur who's going to do it, but Arthur says he can't. Which is what we mentioned earlier in right. the podcast. Arthur can't do it because he's the king. He's the king, and he has a he has a dog in the hunt, and he yeah. cannot do it. And now, while we might say that whether or not Lancelot can kick Gwen's ass has nothing to do right. with whether or not they're innocent, which we know they're not. They're not right. Um, it's still that is the rules. And Lancelot out living in the forest, still strangely, his armor perfectly shining <laughs> despite just sleeping in the woods. Which, by the way, I've slept in the woods. Yeah, I, you get dirty real quick. You really do. And he has this dream where he, and he clearly, he strangely sleeps naked in the forest. Yeah, and fights himself. It's a Star Wars Empire Strikes Back dream. Absolutely, absolutely. I wonder if, if, because so this is eighty one. Yeah, that came out before Empire uh, came out before, right? They're right at the same time. Yeah, right around. Are the same they time? both eighty one? They might be both eighty one. Okay, okay. And sees that in himself, and he's also somehow stabbed himself through the side. Oh, so great. And it really freaked me out. When yeah, I was a kid. Yeah, I'm sure it, it did. It's, it's really it looks old, believable. Really believable. Yeah. Um, and now we're about to have the joust, and there's no Lancelot. Mm-hmm. And who steps up? But Percival. Percival. He says, "Make me a knight." And Arthur can't fight himself, and no one else is stepping up to defend the queen. Which is this is why the Round Table has to die. It's right. not just that they sleep together. It's that no one's stepping up to defend the queen. There's already big problems here because they know. Yeah. They've been suspecting it, but they didn't want to, uh, you know, kind of bring it out in the open. They didn't want to take that chance. So Percival gets knighted. He's about to fight, and then in rolls Lancelot. Yeah. It's a really good fight scene mm-hmm. between him and Liam Neeson. Because um, they do a great job of Liam Neeson being stronger. Yeah. Lancelot being much better, but wounded. Mm-hmm. And you see speed versus strength and technique versus ferocity and the Lance- and blood pouring down the side because of the how he wounded himself. Yeah. And he defeats Liam Neeson, and Liam Neeson says the queen is innocent with Lancelot's sword at his throat. 
Do you think Lance is going to kill him in the next moment? No, I think Lance is, is mad at himself. That's what I take. And when, I, when he reaches up, that he's going to stab me. He's mad at himself. He's angry because he knows that he has fought a fake fight. Right. He knows who yeah. he is, and he knows that he's fought for a lie. And you know, and Guinevere is not innocent here either. Like when she's at the, she's protesting her innocence at the table. Really bothers me too. I mean, it's just that whole idea. She knows what the truth is, but she's trying to not be, get caught out. It what, isn't for anything noble like Arthur. It is because she doesn't want to be. What, what do you caught define out. as not innocent? Well, she's going to sleep. She has feelings. She has affection or lust for, well, not lust, but love, I guess, but for, for, for Lancelot, even though she's married already to King Arthur. And is that, is that a sin? I think it's a sin if you are laying the groundwork to act on it. You can want everybody in the world. But if you make steps towards but she has that attraction, I don't think she's made any steps. I think by her, I think her looks to him. I think her being sad that he's not around. I think he senses like when they have that look uh, when Percival's getting introduced and she's on the stairs with Morgana. That look, that look is I want you to stay because I want you. That is an I want you look, and he knows it too, which is why he can't stay. Which is why when she rides out to meet him, he pushes her away until she breaks through all of his defenses. Now they're weak defenses, granted. He does but, not put up a lot. Yeah, I know. Considering his Lancelot, he does not put up a big. Yeah, fight. I think he has some other moves. <laughs> yeah, but but, but but the desire is there on both sides, and I don't. I'm not trying to say anybody's innocent or not because because Arthur too is kind of guilty in a way. Although he's noble in not wanting to champion her, he does put uh, the land and the country ahead of her, and that is a tough thing to come to terms with yourself in a relationship. Well, you know? two two things I want to talk about, and sure. one is, I mean, this is. Uh, originally not necessarily a Christian story, but becomes linked to Christian mythology with the grail and purity and all of these, you know, with with Lancelot, that that really happens. And so there's a line uh, in the film, I think, which is we're innocent, but not in our hearts. Yes. And that's really the key. It's like, so what is the sin? Is the sin having the feeling or is the sin acting on the feeling? He's acting on the feeling. And and, and to what what degree is acting on it? You know, and part of it's like as a married guy, Mm -hmm. you have feelings. And, you know, that's just normal. You have thoughts and feelings. Sure, of and, course. And, and so it's like, I, my, my feeling watching them is they're not, they are innocent. Is that Lancelot staying away? That's him fighting to be innocent. Mm-hmm. He wants her, no question. Yes. But he is working really hard to not do the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. Um, now, clearly, they're not going to be innocent in a minute. <laughs> and this is the other thing, too, is that so Lancelot is wounded, might yeah. be dying. Yeah. And Arthur begs Merlin to heal his friend. And there's definitely the implication of, I can do it. Right. But the consequences are going to be that they're not going to be able to resist each other. Yeah, well, and also you see Guinevere protesting Arthur, saying, look what your laws have done. It's like, wait, you don't get to be righteous here. You don't get to be righteous here. Your lust for each other caused this situation. Totally disagree. Your inability to stop your lust for each other caused this situation to happen. You don't get to judge Arthur's rules or laws as king because because you have a dog in the hunt. With Lancelot being hurt because you have feelings and love for him, that is speaking above your logic. So, so here's why I disagree. Okay, is if this was today, and we sure. had three people, sure, and there were there was a married couple and a guy mm-hmm. that was in love with a girl, but they hadn't done anything yet, yeah. and they got accused. Someone accused them, yeah, and would uh, they end up having a duel sanctioned by the society? Okay, 
They, would they today? Well, no, there's no duels allowed today. Right, because our laws don't let that happen. Arthur's laws exactly let that happen because Arthur's laws say that fighting right. a duel makes it right. Right. So his laws are shitty, but not in the way that Guinevere means. Yes, exactly. Yeah, um, so that's like, fine. That's a roundabout way of saying it, but yes. Yeah. Um, anyway, so so because I, so, I think it's Merlin's magic that combines with their lust mm-hmm. that makes Guinevere go off and seek him in the forest that night. If she hadn't, he hadn't healed... Because he puts you trying to blame Merlin. Gwen, well, he puts Guinevere's hands on the wound yes. and says they're going to be consequent. If I use my magic, yeah, it's it's he's making. I think that's what puts it over the edge. Oh, I thought because she healed Arth- she healed Arthur. She has a gift to heal, not necessarily to uh. be. That's what I. That's what I always think. Well, because again, I always think it's, she has these little concoctions that heal people. I think it's Merlin using his magic through their love to heal him. Well, let's ask you, all of our cinephiles yeah. out there, tell us what you, how, how do you interpret this moment? Yeah. And I don't mind being wrong. And by the way, if we did modern day version of this, if there are text messages between them that are across the line, then yes, they're both guilty. Absolutely. Agreed. Regardless if they act Agreed. on it physically or not. Agreed. All right. Go so, ahead. <laughs> then they go and have sex in the forest. Yes. Lancelot and Guinevere in a beautiful shot. Yes. Very green and their nakedness and against l- the it's green. It's a love shot. Oh, it's yeah. not a lust shot. It's a no. love shot. Well, yeah. they love each other. Yeah, they do. I know. That's There's what I'm saying. No question about no. it. Apparently, very cold that night. <laughs> like, there you go. No, I'm saying it was actually really, really. Cold <laughs> oh, that night yeah. oh, okay, okay. No, right. I'm saying it's a filmmaking oh, thing. Okay, it's not okay. a shrinkage thing. Okay, it's a or nipples thing. thing. Okay, fine. No, it was very cold that night. It was genuinely <laughs> cold that night. Um, go ahead. Uh, and then we go into this this montage of three different sequences simultaneously, yeah, yeah. which is really powerful. The first is. Merlin taking Morgana into this cave. Yeah. And he's finally, we think, going to teach her the. We haven't even talked about the charm of making yet. Yeah. And it's a perfect time. Uthbas Bethud, Dothiel Dienve. I said this. We had geeky friends. We would say this to each other all the of time. Of course, of course. Yeah. Uh, is that he's going to teach her the true magic because she has some powers in that direction. She kind of gets it. Yeah. And we go, oh, shit. We know that she's a bad guy. Is Merlin really going to show her this? Right. And at the same time, we have Lancelot and Guinevere making, wood, uh, making love in the woods. Yeah. And we have Arthur riding through the woods to find them. Mm-hmm. And we're like, oh, shit. What's going to happen? Because he asked Arthur, do you still have the sight? Are they together? Mm-hmm. Which is a really, really sad moment yeah yeah well and this goes to the inevitability of the fall of camelot yep. is that merlin goes yeah because merlin could say nope he's don't know no. but you can't nope because this is what has got to happen there, there there's a sense and it's true in so many myths mm-hmm. of and this is where it has to go we right. have we're, we're you know there's not free will exactly we're going to a certain kind of destiny. And I would argue that those are the reasons why those myths endure, why we love them so much, is the inevitability of the tragedy within the myth that makes us love it so much because they were so close to being great or good or, possi- or these possibilities, but one fatal flaw lets them down. And that's because we connect to that. We understand that. We are full of flaws as human beings. It's the shining moment of Camelot. Yeah. And that's why the song in the musical is so powerful. It is. It's why after John Kennedy's death, yeah. Jackie said... I want you to remember this is Camelot and Camelot the musicals in in the in, on Broadway at yeah. that time, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so there, there's this moment. Arthur's riding out. Merlin's about to, we think, give Morgana the spell. They're making love in the woods, and then Merlin turns, and I love this moment. And his his staff is on fire, and his yeah. eyes are red, and he says, and he just lays into her, and it is terrifying. Look into the eyes of the dragon. You 
you're like, oh my God, he's going to destroy her. Right. And then Arthur, standing over Lance and Guinevere asleep, finds them naked. He drives Excalibur into the ground. And it's right on the edge of being cheesy. And maybe it is really cheesy. The sword goes through Merlin's body mm. and all plans are lost. I love that. Yeah. Is it through... Is it between them? Did he put the sword between yeah. them? Yeah. It is his way of saying, like, I'm the third person here. That's so powerful. And to me, once again, it's uh, Ar- another moment where Arthur surprises Merlin. Merlin <laughs> did not see sword it. Through right. his body. He did not see that coming. But he is stabbing <laughs> the earth. He's stabbing the, he's the, stabbing the whole myth, the yeah. dragon, everything. Yeah. And that's what's so powerful. And Morgana uses that moment of weakness to get the spell of making, the yeah. charm of making, and she seals Merlin in uh, in ice or glass yeah, or whatever crystal or whatever it is, sure. which is part of one of the uh, many of the myths. Yeah. And that's the end of Camelot, really. That's mm-hmm. the knife through Camelot. Yep. Um, and in the next moment, Morgana uses that charm to convince Arthur that she's Guinevere. Yeah. And so that Arthur will father a child with his sister. Her way of getting sister. back to Merlin. Her way of getting back at Merlin by using his trick that he used to birth Arthur. Exactly right. To birth Mordred. Yeah. Yeah. Mordred, which will be the death of Arthur. Yes. And then again, the movie takes this strange turn. Uh, which is Lance and Guinevere wake up finding the sword there, which is really upsetting. <sighs> That's such a great scene, man. And, and and Lance runs away naked and Guinevere sits crying, cradling the sword. And mm-hmm. it's really upsetting. It really is. And I love the line, Steve. The king without a sword, the land without, land without a king. A king. <sighs> well, so this powerful. is, again, one of the pieces of the myth, which I got added mm. much later, yeah. is that there's a direct connection between the land and the king. Yeah. And that's really clear. Things, The world blossoms when Arthur becomes king, yeah. and now that he no longer has his sword, the world starts to dry out and die. And so powerful. It's a really weird scene where they're having a religious ceremony and lightning comes through and strikes Arthur in the chest. Yes. Really disturbing. Mm-hmm. And then the only way we can think of of healing the land is we need to find the Holy Grail. Right. Um, and I mean, we're not going to get into grail myth. There's a lot of grail myth out there. <laughs> I'm, sure that, you, I'm sure you know them all, Steve. You, I don't know. I'm sure I don't. But I, you know, but, yeah. but if you want to get into Knights Templar and uh, and you can read Dan Brown and Da Vinci Code and that right. stuff, and you can watch Indiana Jones. I was just going to say all yeah. sorts of holy grail stuff. But the idea is, it's a cup that either or either was the cup that. Jesus used at the Last Supper, or was the cup that caught his blood while he was on the cross, ah, or it's both. Yeah, it's one of those things. Mm-hmm. Maybe taken away by Joseph of Arimathea and tr- protected and traveled all around, and ends up somehow in England. Right. And uh, now we got to go find it. And all the knights go off, and the knight that we follow is Percival. Yep. And it goes on for years and mm-hmm. years. It came, I don't even know how you look for a Grail. There's rumors in the wind, I guess. You have like ideas of where it might be. You obviously want to go to religious places first. Where's the legend? Where do you hear the grails? Why would it be in England? This is another question, too, you know? Yeah, I go and I Google it, I guess. And then. (laughs) Google it, yeah, totally. um, And so he goes off on this. And again, it's where this movie. I'm not saying that it it kind of, for me, it drifts. Not in a bad way. I'm still in it, but it's sort of, oh, what happened to Arthur? Oh, what happened to Lance? What happened to Guinevere? I'm following Percival. Yeah. Um, Who's probably my least favorite actor in the film? Really? Yeah. Oh wow. I mean, okay. there are, there, I mean, we've got really good actors. Yeah, yeah. Of so course, of course. We see, we see oh, the very disturbing Morgana giving birth as, by herself. Oof, yeah. She's really weird and satanic, yeah. and then her cradling and oiling mm. and worshiping this young blonde Mordred. Yeah. John Borman's son. <laughs> good God. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and Percival sees the young golden 
child. Yeah. He sees a tree with uh, knights, dead knights hanging from it. Yeah. And that scared the shit out of me as a kid. Of course, well, it should. Yeah. Particularly when the eyeball gets pulled out by the bird. Oh, yeah. Ugh. <laughs> and he gets tempted by Morgana. Right. But he doesn't give in. Yep. And so they go, oh, put him on the tree. Mm-hmm. Now he's hanging from the tree. And as he almost is near death, he has his first vision of the grail. Yes. And this, the questions are very much out of grail myth. Mm-hmm. Who does the grail serve? Like, that's an old question. Wow. Um, that definitely comes out of grail myth, but he can't answer. And that's also in, in the old Arthurian myths that Percival fails the first time. Wow. Almost gets there. And then it's like a, another 10 years go by. Yeah. And the land is completely falling apart. It seems like plague and famine, and it's just awful. And Percival sees, and this is something that I never understood. It didn't make sense to me for years. And it was interesting because I listened to the commentary track, and John Borman felt he did this wrong, which is that Percival sees Lancelot, who's like a yeah. crazy, wild-haired monk. He's a cleric or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And, and he goes, Lancelot, Lancelot, it's me. And Lancelot doesn't do anything. And as a kid, I always went, where's Lancelot? Didn't recognize him. Oh, yeah. And what, and John Borman said it on the commentary track. I, he said, I gave him too much hair. Nobody recognizes him. And so, and did you recognize yes, him? Yes, of course. Yeah, I never But did. only because I recognize his voice. Oh. When he says, when he starts to yell at, yell at him, right. you know, another night, another fail, blah, blah, blah. Because yeah. that's, how, that's how he yelled when he uh, fought Arthur. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I didn't, I didn't get it. Yeah. Uh, and then Percival is in the water. And drowning, and, he, yeah. and it's really beautiful, is he has to strip off his armor. Mm-hmm. He has to become naked. He has to become Jesus. Yeah. To go back to the grill. To, to, to the go grill. back and, mm-hmm. and finally is able to answer the question, mm-hmm. and the answer is the land and the king are one. The yeah. king and the land are one, and the grail serves you. And then in this wonderful, magical moment, we return to Camelot. Yeah. And he's just with Arthur yep. and hands him the grail. Uh, and by the way, they had to do a crazy trick, which I never noticed, but yeah. is the grail's empty, and as he walks with it, it actually fills itself. Oh, um, wow. So there's liquid coming up into the grail so that yeah. by the time he gets to Arthur, it's full. I never noticed that, but that's one of the weird things that filmmakers spend time trying to figure <laughs> out how to do. Uh, and I love the line, when Arthur first drinks. I didn't know how empty was my soul until it was filled. That happens in our lives, right? And not just the grail, there's... These moments that you you either do something, you experience something, you meet someone, or you fall in love, whatever, and you go, damn, I didn't know that I was missing something until something filled it up. And there are moments where it uh, gets emptied. Yes, those absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, and, th- th- and maybe those moments when it gets empty are the moments when we really need to see some King Arthur stories. <laughs> That's a good point. So sometimes for me, it's the movies that fill me up. It's oh, the stories that fill me up. Let me tell you something. Movies never let you down. The ones you love, they never Absolutely. let you down. They're always there for you. I've had a lot of movies let me down. but <laughs> Yeah, but the ones you love, the good ones, they're always there. And this is one of them, by the way. I yeah. go back and watch Excalibur anytime. Flaws and all. Absolutely. I'd be like, yeah, let's go do it. All right. You know, I, I say I felt the film has been drifting, and and, and 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 not in a bad way. I don't want to make it sound like I don't like it. I do like it. But there's like, I was like, where's Arthur been? Yeah. And now, after he drinks from the Holy Grail, Arthur's back. Yeah. Ready my knights for battle. They will ride with their king once more. I've lived through others far too long. Lancelot carried my honor, and Guinevere my guilt. Mordred bore my sins. My knights have fought my causes. Now, my brother, I shall be king. And Kay goes off and calls the knights together. Gods! 
squares! Prepare for battle! And where all the knights get on their horses, we get our armor off, and we're going to ride off the battle. Yeah. And it is so great. Carmina Burana comes. That's what we got to talk about right now. is there are two composers that contribute most of the music. There's a real composer on the film, the current composer, but there is also Richard Wagner and Carl Orff. Yeah. And most of the great music you remember from this film is from Wagner and it's from Orff, Carmina Burana. Yeah. And that music, I can never hear that music and not think of Excalibur. Absolutely. Just the shot of them riding on the horses through the through the forest and the trees, like all of that is so fantastic and powerful. It is swelling and powerful. Mm -hmm. So just a, really quickly, Karl Orff was German, uh, born in like the 1890s, was a music prodigy, composed a lot of imp important music, but Carmina Baran is the most important. Right. And it was composed in uh, 1937. And you know who really liked that music? Who? Nazis. Oh, jeez. Yeah, yeah. Oh. It was one of that was big popular music during the Nazi. <sighs> That's a shame. And yet, yeah. Um, and he was pretty much cleared as not a Nazi. Mm, okay. He, he, he seems to have been a fairly good guy. And this mm -hmm. piece of music remained popular ever since. But yeah. this, the use of it is so powerful and swelling and just like, you got to love some Carmina Burana. To me, it's, com it's comparable to Ode to Joy. That's how, that's how much I feel for this piece of music. It is as comparable as the parts of Ode to Joy that hit right. their hit their climax. You know, it's very much that it lifts you up. It takes you that place. It's so powerful. And what's interesting is because of Excalibur, I associated with war and battle. But my understanding mm. is that the poetry that it's based on, which is some Latin poems, I think. Yeah. I don't 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 quote me on that. But it's some it's some older poems is all very erotic. Oh yeah. Huh? Yeah, so, but... <laughs> you can have sex like that. <laughs> nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> oh, man, Carmina Burana sex. That's, you really need a couple of cigarettes You can't be that. starting at Carmina Burana. You got to be ending at Carmina Burana. That's how it works. <laughs> can, you, can you go start at something else, go through Carmina Burana and end with Ode to Joy? Absolutely. Holy crap, that's a great night. Yeah. She won't ever leave you then. <laughs> but we digress. Yes, we do. Um, because we're riding off to battle to finally battle with Mordred, yeah. who plays an amazing asshole yes he does yeah he, and great casting yeah really great casting apparently he was at a, like a, a competitive level writer oh so because one of the things that borman talks about is that you couldn't give the really good horses to people that can't ride that well right. he got one of the really good horses and you see it when he's riding when there's a one shot where he rides up and throws a spear into a, a yeah into a, a knight yeah. and the way he wields up the horse he handles it perfectly mm -hmm. uh and we're at our last battle and we're outnumbered and arthur really really wishes he could talk to merlin yeah and he dreams of merlin and merlin returns at stonehenge right it's it's, it's a stonehenge-esque it's oh, sorry stonehenge-esque yeah. by the way yes, by yes. the way so so <laughs> when they're shooting because they build that on the top of a hill yeah there's a whole bunch of tourists come up and they're looking through their guidebooks trying to figure out what is this what is this ancient place it's like no it's just a movie set <laughs> um and uh that's great so merlin descends down on Morgana, yeah, who's wearing a crazy metal uh, breastplate, yeah, which apparently is sitting in John Borman's house, and he has written in his will that when he dies, Helen Mirren gets it. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, um, he also has Excalibur at his house. Oh, Jesus Christ! Right, that would be a wish of mine to 
Yeah. Hold it That's one a cool time. Looking sword. Just one time, man. Um, and 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 it kind of a reversal of what Morgana did to him. She manipulates him into using yeah. this, the the charm of making to bring up a fog that will hide Arthur's numbers. Yeah. And it also ages her. Mm-hmm. She's been using her magic to keep herself young. And it's really brutal. Mordred walks in, sees old lady Morgana, and just kills her. Yeah, out of disgust. Out of disgust. Right? Because that's the kind yeah. of person he is. Yeah. There's, no, there's no redeeming quality, Mordred. But how is she that old? Well, if she's been artificially using magic to make herself young. But she was still just, but she was Uther. She was uh, Arthur's what? age. Right. Five years older, maybe. So she, but she's, she looks like she's 95 years old. Have you old. ever used the charm of magic? No, I've never used the charm of magic. Oh, I Merlin see what had, you're saying. Yeah. It's aged her to use it. Yeah. Like picture Dorian Gray type thing. Right. Okay, that's fair. I accept that. Okay. Well, Dorian Gray's just aging at the rate that he would have been aging had he aged. Yeah, but the picture is uglier and uglier. He becomes because of what's happening to him inside. I mean, Merlin had to sleep for nine long moons. That's true. After using, you don't fuck around with the charm of making. Nope. I'm worried that I said it a little while ago and I could be in trouble. You said it in my house. I'm worried right now what's going to happen to me tomorrow. I don't know if we're on the eyeball of the dragon or anything here. It's pretty (laughs) pretty messed up. Anyway. Anyway, we're nerding out. But we digress. Yes, yes. Um, and now we get our final battle. Yeah. And I, th- so the battle's great yeah, in the fall. Really That's a lot of fun. They had to shoot it. They shot it inside it like a horse arena oh, because wow. they needed somewhere where the ground was soft for the horses. Right. But they also needed something inside where they could fill it with smoke. Cause when mm-hmm. you smoke up outside, wind comes up, it's all gone. Right. So they have their big battle. And I honestly think Lancelot's appearance at this battle is like a Han Solo moment. Oh yeah. It's, it's, we don't think he's totally unexpected. We don't think he's going to be here. And at the last moment, he charges in with a mace and yeah. it is awesome. Yeah, it is. He fights great. Yeah. It's a really good moment. He's an old man. Yeah, he's so an he, old man he, he can't, yeah, but he can't, he can't fight as well as he had before, but he's still effective. And yeah. I love that it ends with that, it is the old wound, my liege. It is never healed. Yeah. Makes me cry every oh, yeah. time, man. It's great. Yeah. And, oh, and we, you know, we skipped such an important point. I'm sorry. Is that we skipped... Arthur has to get Excalibur back. Yes. Oh, yes. He rides to her with Carmina Burana. Right. Yes. He, he finds Guinevere, yes. who's a nun at a, at a, at a convent. Yeah. And she's been holding Excalibur for him all this time. It's because she loves him, man. Well, and this is the key. This is why they have to love each other, mm-hmm. is that, of course, Arthur forgives her. Yeah. And of course, he forgives Lance. And Lance is still his best friend. Yeah. You know, that's what makes, that's what makes me tear up, is that after what they go through, the love is so strong. Yeah. That even after all those years and all that pain, it's still there for each other. Yep. You know, that's really, that's an important lesson out of the film. Yeah. Um, and then the final confrontation with Mordred, which is in a, a lot of the myths. Yeah. Mordred stabs Arthur with a spear and Arthur walks his way up that spear to kill Mordred and they die together. I've seen that in films since. Yeah. And it's never worked better than it does in Excalibur, man. It never works better than it does in Excalibur. Yeah. It's it's fantastic. Yeah. Um, the <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and Arthur then has one last thing to do, mm-hmm. which is tell Percival go throw the go throw Excalibur in the ocean. Right, and again, this is from many of the myths. Percival goes down, can't do it, lies. Goes down again, can't do it, lies. And then Arthur says, "You have to go do this," and he goes down and he throws it. And the shot is so good, it's so great of the sword flying through the air and the hand coming out and catching the sword. And of course, it's done in reverse. That's yes. how it's done. Right. But it looks so good. And the, 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 the green light and the way the Lady of the Lake's hand look, it's just a perfect geeky fantasy moment. And the music cue. 
and the music cue. Dun, dun. Dun. Yeah. It's so great, man. It's great. Yep. All of this, like, uh, I would say to you, I don't think it meanders because it's based on La Morte de Arthur, which is the French one that I was right. talking. It is all these stories juxtaposed in. So in essence, he's adapting the book itself. So these stories that are from the book find their way into the movie and they seem like they all, it, uh, digressions, but to me, they all enrich the entire movie because they all pay off later on. Agreed. Percival pays off. Everything that happens with Lancelot pays off. It, everything pays off. So to me, I enjoy it for that reason. I I love going on these little mini journeys with these different characters, you know? I do too. I think the um, the thing for me is that maybe it's just that I want more. And that's fair. You know, is that I go like, man, I wish this was... I wish John Borman, with this group of people, yeah. had made a 12-hour TV miniseries. Oh, good God. You know, and go off and do the Gwaine stories and go and still have lots of Arthur. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because what kind of happens, and it just is what it is, is that Arthur gets lost through the middle and the, you know, the mm-hmm. last third of the movie mm-hmm. until he gets reborn after right. the Grail. Right. And that's the one thing is like, like I love the movie. It's mm-hmm. not a criticism. It's sort of, you know, it's funny. I've used this term perfect movie a few times. And for me, and I'm, I have trouble defining it, and this isn't one, but that mm-hmm. doesn't mean I don't love it. Right. I love this movie, and I will watch it. It's it's definitely one of those, uh, what do I want to do tonight? Let's do Excalibur. Yeah. Let's throw that in again. Yep. And it always makes me happy. Yeah, it's absolutely. The rewatchability factor on this is like 11 out of 10. Yeah. It is so you can just, if you love this film, it's never the wrong time to watch it. Never. You just enjoy it so much. Because, once again, it is the nobility of the film, man. It is this, this desire to be better. The whole film is about the desire to be better, desire to accomplish something, desire to be better as a whole, as a society, as a land. Do you know what I'm saying? That's what they're trying to do. And, unfortunately, you have. but then you have these mistakes. But then at the end they find their way back. This is what happens because when you're young, it's all emotional and nothing could ever happen. But when you're older, you have more perspective. You understand he's older, which is why he goes to find Guinevere. He doesn't say bitter towards her. You know what I'm saying? He needed right. his 30-year absence from her, but, the, sure. but he got there. He needs some space. He needs some space. <laughs> he needs to process <laughs> what happened. But you know, but then Lancelot took his thing because Lancelot felt guilty for what he did because he's pure of heart. He felt guilty, so he punished himself by going and, and becoming this mad cleric and God knows what he did to himself, yeah, whipping knows? himself. God knows what he did to himself. But when he comes back, he comes back because he, the land needs him to come back to combat this evil. And he dies. And to help his in friend. The, and to help his friend. And he dies in the process. Everybody dies in the process except for Guinevere, obviously. But it's so powerful everyone's sacrifice in the film. So my guess is that was your final thoughts. Or do you want to do other final thoughts? I will do one last final thought. Is this, if you, have a, if you haven't seen it and you've listened to us this far, I hope we excited you to it. If you haven't seen it in a while, put it in again, enjoy it. Definitely listen to John Borman's commentary track and enjoy the film one more time and let it inspire you because what's happening now, I, no matter what side of the spectrum you're on, it is tough right now in our world, in our society, in our country here in the States. Seeing something like this with the possibility of nobility, the possibility of something better, even in movie form, even in fantastical Middle Ages legend form, is still something that can inspire you and keep your heart going. And I love that about the film. Yeah, I... Um I keep thinking about why does Arthur endure? You know, why do we keep coming back to Arthur? And I think there's a lot of reasons. One reason is that there's a feeling when you see him pull the sword from the stone that that could be me. Yeah. That we could be Arthur. I could be the king. Mm -hmm. I could be the once and future king. And that's an amazing thing. And that's coupled with the idea of might for right. Mm -hmm. Is that Arthur isn't just a king because 
he pulled the sword from the stone. Right. He's the king because he's the person with the moral core to be the king. Mm-hmm. Is that he has not just the intelligence and the physical skills, but also that he knows what is right. Mm-hmm. He believes in a code. And I think that's really important. And the other thing that's so important is that it's not a naive story. In other words, it's not a, a story about wish fulfillment. Yeah. Wouldn't it be great to be a superhero? Wouldn't it be great to be this? Because being Arthur is hard. Yep. And the world that is created is very fragile and fleeting. And Camelot is a moment in time, mm-hmm. and then that moment in time goes away. And we keep wanting to return there, even knowing it's going to fall. Yep. Is that, and that's kind of, that's what makes it echo. It doesn't just echo because of the Sword from the Stone. It mm-hmm. doesn't just echo because of Lancelot. It doesn't just echo because of great battles and this wonderful wizard yeah. and all those things. And those things are all great. But it echoes because it is fleeting. Yep. Yeah. Which and is, aspirational. Which is the, yes, absolutely. I love that. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's what we think about Excalibur. Uh, we want to hear what you think. Um, uh, we definitely want you to watch the film. We'd love to hear your comments on Facebook. That's uh, at the cinephile, C-I-N-E-F-I-L-E-S. Uh, you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, and we definitely want you to please leave reviews on iTunes. In fact, I might think it is your nightly duty <laughs> to leave a review on iTunes. It is the right thing to do. So look into your moral core and if you're a good person you will write a review um, you can also subscribe to us on stitcher but stitcher does not like our dash oh so please subscribe you can do a search for the us but it will be cine c-i-n-e and files two words no dash and of course if you want to reach me you can reach me at sr morris john where can they reach you you can always reach me at the roca says r-o-c-h-a there on twitter and on instagram i always love interacting with you all so please follow me and tweet at me and i promise to tweet back uh as much as as much as i can and when i have the time and i usually try to find a lot of time to do that so there we go and we 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 appreciate all the stuff you said to Mm -hmm. us on twitter and by the way Guess what? We really take your suggestions. This one we took from about a week ago. That's right. Yeah. So uh, we'd love to hear any other suggestions you have for films. And that's it for this week. We will see you next time on The Cinephiles. Cinephiles.